good to have you here. Before we get going today, I want to take uh, just a couple of minutes to uh, express gratitude uh, to many of you. A week ago Friday, which was Good Friday, um, I tell you what, what a blessing for me as a pastor to join with hundreds of you as we together had a collective day of prayer and fasting. And for many of you, it was your first time to experience the spiritual discipline of fasting, of humbling ourselves before the Lord, denying ourselves for a spiritual purpose and crying out to Him. And also, uh, many of you joined us that day for an hour of our prayer vigil. And I just want to say thank you so much uh, for being a part of that. Uh, What a blessing as we continue to grow as people of prayer. And also that uh, following week, or that a few days later on Easter weekend, many of you uh, served that weekend to make this a very welcoming and inviting place for our friends and our families and our guests. Some of you serving for the first time, some of you serving multiple uh, services last weekend, so thank you for that. And for your generosity. As we uh, said, and as many of you know, every year at Easter we give our offering 100% away, and because of your generosity last weekend, I think the number I heard was $74,000 was given, and so I just wanted, yeah, thank you for your generosity. And not one, not one penny of that money will stay here for the ministries of Cornwall Church. It's to come alongside and collab- collaborate with other ministries to help out in relief and uh, bring help to those who are hurting. And so, so grateful for that. And we prayed and we asked that, that the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, that what happened 2,000 years ago would happen again here, that he would bring those who are spiritually dead to life. And uh, so uh, we continue to pray. There were 62 people that picked up new believer packets, and we just want to praise God uh, for that. Yeah, just uh, excited for the new life in Jesus Christ. And I wonder if you'd join me in just a a moment to thank our God uh, before we start uh, any further today. Jesus, we are so grateful that you are alive and that your resurrection power is still bringing life. You're breathing life and bringing light into the darkness. And we're thankful for the people that took a step across the line of faith. And God, I pray that what you began in them, you would carry on uh, to completion. That the, the seeds of the truth of your life and your goodness would fall on fertile soil and that their lives would just flourish in you. So Jesus, we want to give you all the praise and the glory. We thank you for your goodness, what you're doing in and through us. And pray that you would be the only one that is ever exalted and lifted up. And we pray this in your great name. Amen. Well, it's good to have you here in Bellingham. Those of you joining us in Skagit and Boca and online, the live stream right now. Uh, so good to have you as we start a brand new series, Calm in the Chaos. I think this is a, a very timely series for us and very relevant for us. It doesn't take long at all. I mean, you grab one copy of one week uh, of Time Magazine and you flip through that and you can read all kinds of stories, stories about the, the opioid uh, addiction crisis in our nation, stories about a, a nightmare bacteria that the Center for Disease Control have discovered in the United States, which is resistant to antibody, uh, antibiotics, and there's concern about that. Looking at all the, the issues with the breaches of security and that our information is going from things like our, our fitness trackers and Facebook and, and even Panera Bread, and it's going to who knows who and for whatever purposes. On top of that, another shooting this time at, at YouTube's headquarters, and you hear about this, the trade tariffs with China and what it could do to our economy. On top of that, meteorologists are saying that this year's hurricane season could be more severe than usual, and if that doesn't freak you out, Toys R Us doesn't exist anymore. These kind of things that just invoke in us concern or terror, fear, stress, worry, and anxiety, and that's just on a national level. 
You broaden that out to a global level and it takes it to a whole other level. You narrow the focus down to a personal level and it becomes right in your own home of the things that you're wondering and worried about. What about my health? What about, if, will I have enough to retire? Will I be able to have a job? Will I get into college? Will I be able to provide for my family? Will I even have a family? What about my kids? Kids! Kids, that opens up a huge one. What if they don't excel academically? What if they're not strong athletically? What about socially? What if they get picked on? What if they get made fun of? What if they're bullied? What if they are the bully? What if they get called into the principal's office? What if they're not safe at school? What if people and the values of this world are, are filling their heads and it goes contrary? What about all of that? And all of these things can fill us with worry and anxiety. And some of you are saying, I wasn't anxious five minutes ago, <laughs> but I came to church and my anxiety level has skyrocketed. I just wanted you to really want to hear what I had to say today <laughs> to create that hunger. This is the human condition, and when we have this worry, this stress, it's such a heavy burden, it's such a cloud over us. 3,000 years ago, because this isn't new, 3,000 years ago, Solomon wrote these words, an anxious heart weighs a man down. We know about that. We understand that. This is nothing new. In fact, there's an event that happened in the life of Jesus and his disciples, and it was an actual event for them, and it's an incredible metaphor for us. Because while the details are completely different, the response is exactly the same. Matthew records this in his gospel. He says Jesus and the disciples were out on a boat, and everything was going fine. They were sailing. Jesus, being completely God but completely human, was tired. He takes a nap at the back of the boat. And while they're out there and life is just going well, there's this rogue wind that comes in, this unforeseen storm that hits them. And all of a sudden, the disciples have the same response we have when a rogue wind and unforeseen storm hits us. That they are filled with worry, they are filled with stress, they are filled with anxiety. There's uncertainty about how this is going to pan out. They don't know what the future, they're thinking worst case scenario. They are convinced to the core of their being, this is it, this is the end, their lives will end on this day. They are freaking out. And they wake up Jesus saying, like, don't you care, Jesus? And I can imagine Jesus looking around, all 12 of these disciples, filled with fear, worry, stress, anxiety. They are freaking out. You know Peter's verbose in his anxiety. And maybe Bartholomew's over there in a corner finding a happy place. But they're all freaked out. And Jesus says to them, and this is my loose translation, whoa, whoa, whoa. Verily, verily, I say unto you, don't get your panties in a wad relax. Now that's my loose translation. Scripture would say it this way. You have little faith. Why are you afraid? And I think so many times, maybe in our lives, we need to hear our Lord and Savior come to us and say, whoa, whoa, verily I say to you, don't get your panties in a wad. Relax. And especially in our country. Did you know that that anxiety disorder is the number one mental health issue amongst women, and it's number two amongst men. The um, uh, Unisys uh, Security Index, which surveys people worldwide on things like national security, natural disasters, personal security, stated that in 2017, anxiety levels were highest on record in history that they've ever been, this index has ever existed. And the United States is the most anxious country on the planet, which is amazing when you think that developing countries that don't have nearly this, the safety measures that we have in the United States, they don't have access to as much food or clean water as we do, they don't have the health care that's available to us, 
Their governments are far more corrupt than ours. Their economy is far more fragile than ours. Their military is far weaker than ours. In developing countries, people's anxiety level is one-fifth of what it is in America. And what is even more is the discovery that if people from those developing countries with this low stress move to the United States, within a year or two, those same people have stress levels right up there with Americans. That we are just a stressed out country. We're filled with anxiety. Michael Leahy, who is a psychologist and wrote the book um, Anxiety Free, said this, the average child, not the troubled child that grew up in a rough home, the average child, the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. These are our kids. And then Taylor Clark, in his essay, said this, stress-related ailments cost the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity. And I won't even go into big pharma. Listen, I was really hesitant to give any kind of statistics, partly because as a communicator, I know when people start listing statistics, it just becomes white noise. It just, you don't hear it anymore. The other reason is because you hear some of those statistics, and some of you, your anxiety level keeps raising. You're like, this is really bad. It's a horrible situation. So I was a little bit hesitant on that. But I wanted to point out the reality, not just for us as a country, but it's reality for us even as Christ followers. And the good news is this, that while this has been the ongoing human condition, and while this seems to be elevated in our world today and in our country, God's word has incredible things to say to us about this. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at God's word to confront this issue. And we're going to be confronting the, the epidemic of anxiety. We're not just going to be talking about it at a national level. I don't have that kind of a stage. But for us, on an individual level, how can we learn from God's word in the midst of our worry, in the midst of our stress, in the midst of our anxiety to have a sense of calm that comes with us. Now, before we go any further, I want to make a statement and a bit of a disclaimer. I believe that we all deal with anxiety, but I believe there's kind of a, a continuum of anxiety. Some of you, anxiety for you is just a mild distraction. It's a mild irritation. It's not that big of a deal to you. In fact, maybe the reason is because of your personality. You're just a laid-back person. That's just the way you are. Or maybe... It's because of life and you've learned and you're mature and you understand the anxiety doesn't change anything. In fact, it usually makes it worse. Or maybe you're just apathetic and you don't care and you're lazy about things. Whatever the case may be, for some of you, anxiety is not that big of a deal. And then there's like this bell curve. And I think the majority of us would fall in this middle section where anxiety is this maybe seasonal or circumstantial struggle that we have. That when things happen, things don't turn out right, there's a little bit of concern that there's some anxiety that we have to deal with, and we do, and we usually make it through. And then on this end of the spectrum, there are some of you who live with anxiety as a chronic condition of your life. And it really, it, it is debilitating for you. It is crippling for you. It paralyzes you. And for those of you who are on this upper end of this spectrum that I just laid out, I want to say a couple of things real quick before we go any further. I don't want you to think in any way that I'm making light or downplaying the reality that you deal with every day. I don't want to in any way give you some kind of cliched band-aid over a situation that is devastating your life. Please hear me on that. Likewise, if you're seeking professional help, you're going to a therapist, you're going to a counselor, and maybe there have been medications that have been prescribed for you to take. 
I am not in any way saying cancel the appointments and throw away the prescriptions. I'm not saying that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm a preacher, not a doctor, Jim. This is not my, not my job. Okay. And if you are seeing professional help and if you are taking medication that has been prescribed to you, I don't want you in any way to feel like a second class citizen in the kingdom of God or a lesser spiritual individual because of that. What I want for all of us, no matter where we are from this, it's a mild irritation to it's, a, it's an environmental, seasonal, circumstantial deal or a, a lifestyle, for all of us, wherever we are on this continuum, to look into the truth of God's word to find out how it applies to us so that we can take steps to living calm in the midst of the chaos. Now, with that said, I'm going to tell you one more thing that may, uh, may invoke a little anxiety in you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Amazon... Uh, sells books with Kindle. Many of you have Kindle readers. This is not Nook. That's Barnes & Noble. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying Amazon, in the Kindle uh, reader, electronic readers, books that you have, Amazon can track and does track when you highlight a section, which some of you are like, they know what I'm reading? And they know what I like what I'm reading? Yes. So this year, Amazon put out, published a, a report on what were some of the most popular sections of certain books? Like, what did people highlight? What, what, did they, what did they underline? Where did they put a little message on things like the Hunger Games or the Harry Potter series or Pride and Prejudice? What was interesting in their search on highlights of books in, uh, of the Kindle, which is not surprising, is that the most highlighted book in Amazon's history with the Kindle is the Bible. Now, that doesn't surprise me. And then they talked about what was the verse or the verses that were most highlighted in the Bible. And this one came as a bit of a shock for me. I was thinking Psalm 23. I was thinking the Lord's Prayer. I was thinking maybe even John 3.16. But the passage that is most highlighted in Kindle uh, versions of the Bible are two verses that are found in a little letter in the New Testament in Philippians. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 that say these words. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that surpasses, transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Interesting. The most highlighted verse is one that addresses the issues of anxiety and peace for our hearts and our minds. Now, this is great because those two verses are tucked in the middle of a section of scripture that we're just going to camp out on for the next four weeks. For the next four weeks, there's about five verses that we're just going to, we're going to hold on, we're going to read, we're going to take apart, we're going to study, we're going to read them, we're going to memorize them, some of us are, we're going to meditate on these words so that the truth of God's word can soak into our lives and help us to live this way. It's in Philippians chapter four, we'll get there eventually, if you want to turn there, you can. I want to, before we get into that, give you the backstory of these words because understanding who wrote them and who they were written to, I think, gives them greater credibility. These words were written by a man named Paul. And we refer to it as the book of Philippians. It was really, it was a letter. Now, Paul is the author. And some of you are familiar with Paul's life. He had had a very difficult life as an adult. Physically, he had been beaten, he had been whipped, he had been hit with rods, he had been stoned, he had been left for dead, he had been shipwrecked. He had enemies that persecuted him relentlessly. He had opponents and rivals that slandered and defamed his name and his character. He had friends and co-workers that deserted him. 
On top of that, he had gone around planting churches, and he felt personally responsible for the success of these churches as his heart was out for these people. And there was difficulties, and there were false teachers that were coming in, and there was tension on the, in the leadership. And, and he felt like, I, I need to help correct this, because the difficulty is that in all of this, while it's happening, he's been arrested and detained in Rome, and so he can't go to these churches. Not only that, but he's in a, this state of, of being arrested in Rome, and Nero, this neurotic, psychotic leader, is in power, and Paul doesn't know for sure what the outcome of his life is, if he'll ever be released, if he'll ever be able to go, if he will even live. Now, you understand all of that. You begin to realize that Paul has every reason in the world to be filled with worry and stress and anxiety of what he's experienced, what he's going through, what's holding on out there, and the uncertainty of the future. And he writes this letter to this group of believers in Philippi. Philippi was a little town up in uh, northeastern what today we call Greece. And it was a, a body of, of believers who had heard the message of Jesus and had responded in, in the midst of a very pagan culture. And this little, this little gathering, this little body of believers, there was some tension amongst some of the leadership, amongst some of the people. And the tension was making its way into the whole body and it was affecting them. Here's the difference between us and them. Here... There's some tension. You don't like something I say? You just go to Christ the King and everything's happy, all right? There, they didn't have another church they could just go to. There was just this one body of believers, and there's this tension in it, and there's nowhere else to go, and so they've got to figure this out. In addition to that, as followers of Christ, with Nero in power, there was great uncertainty about their future. That it's very possible that for following Christ, they might be persecuted, and it would affect them in a great way economically. They might be blackballed from the marketplace. They may not be able to make a living anymore. They might be kicked out of their homes. They might be treated poorly. Their children might be taken from them. Their very lives might be taken from them. It was not easy to be a follower of Jesus in this time. And in fact, the persecution would come under Nero. So there's great uncertainty about their future. If ever there was a church that had a reason to be filled with anxiety and worry and stress, it was the church in Philippi. So you have this author, Paul, who's got this life that is just filled with the possibility of anxiety. And the recipients of this letter, who have a circumstance and situation that just lends itself to anxiety, and he writes them a letter. Here's what's surprising, is that the primary theme of this letter is joy. And if you didn't know the backstory, Paul writes about this rejoicing and joy and all this. So you think, man, he must be just living the dream. It's like he just won the lotto and he's eating a happy meal at Disneyland. Like everything is good for him. And in the midst of all that, you begin to understand, no, no, no. Their situation is filled with anxiety. And Paul writes these words in Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brothers. Now let me just push pause here. Some of you grew up in church. Some of you were raised in church. Did any of you ever have a preacher that would say, in conclusion, and then they went on preaching for 20 minutes? <laughs> any of you experience that? I close with this, and then they go on. See, here's the difference. I never say in conclusion. I just go on. I, I, Paul says, hey, finally, brothers, in conclusion, he's only halfway through the letter. He says, I'm shutting down. No, he's just getting fired up. He says, finally, finally, here we go. He's only halfway through. Finally, my brothers, Rejoice in the Lord. Very important phrase. We're going to come back to that. Kind of log that one away. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. 
I don't have a problem repeating myself. He says, you know, I've already told you this. I've already written this to you. I'm telling you again. It's no problem. I don't apologize for that. So you see, he's got this repetition going. He says, because it is a safeguard for you. Because he knew what was going on in their lives and in their church, because he knew of the uncertainty of the future, because he knew there was a high likelihood that they would face injustice, difficulties, persecution, hardship, even death. He said, the the life that you're living and the future that you're facing could invoke all of this worry and stress and anxiety. And this is the safeguard for you. This is why I write these words again and again and again. It's because joy and, and anxiety are incompatible. That they don't, they don't exist at the same time. One is always going to dominate the other. You understand this from your own life. I mean, let, let me just kind of just, if you're going through a difficult season, if there's a decision you've got to make, if there's a confrontation you need to have, if some ha- stuff's happening in your marriage or with your kids, there's a health issue, there, something just preoccupies your mind, just has you worried and concerned, and that just kind of holds you down. It's hard to like be filled with joy, you know, and you know, any kind of smile is forced, and any laughter is fake, and it just it doesn't last. Likewise, if you've had those things going on, and for some reason you're able to put them aside, and you're with some friends, you're having a nice dinner, you're laughing, you're making memories, and you're, you're remembering some great times, and you're having a good time, and then all of a sudden, bam, you remember, oh, wait a second, I've got that bill. Oh, wait a second, I've got that meeting tomorrow. Oh, wait a second, I'm not sure what's going to happen in this situation. It just like overcrowds, and it's like the, the default mode is this anxiety, like it always comes out on top. And Paul knows that, that joy and anxiety, they're incompatible. So he gives them this as a safeguard. He says, this whole rejoicing piece, it's not because of your circumstances that you rejoice. It's in spite of your circumstances. What I'm talking about is not just a feeling, and it's not just a little power of positive thinking deal. What I'm talking about is a decision that you make that is deeply rooted in the confidence of our God. That's what I'm talking about. And so he says this, and this is where we start in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Some of you know this verse. Some of you grew up singing this verse with little claps in there. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let me just point out to you one thing. This is a biblical command. This isn't a mild suggestion for some of you. This is a biblical command for all of us. And what I find interesting is Paul doesn't start off saying, hey, stop worrying. We'll get to that next week. But he says, let's start off. If this joy and rejoicing and anxiety are battling for top spot in our life, let's do something. Let's be proactive and let's rejoice. Now, getting a little bit into the weeds here. This word rejoice in the original Greek, it's a present tense imperative. What that means is it's like, Always, now, right now. It's like in the moment, constantly. It's like not just rejoicing someday and not just rejoicing, you know, from yesteryear, but like right here, right now. Last fall, I was in Hawaii and there was a sticker on a lot of cars that said, practice aloha. Practice aloha. So I did. Went in the bathroom, shut the door in the mirror. Aloha. (laughs) Aloha means hello. It's a greeting. It means goodbye. It's a salutation. It's I love you. The practice aloha is not trying to learn how to say it. 
That whole idea of practice aloha is let this be a way of life for you. The hospitable love and, and uh, kindness that, that goes with aloha, let that be a lifestyle for you. And when Paul says this word rejoice, it's this present tense imperative. He says, let this be the way you live. There's a, this really sounds weird, but you could interpret it this way. Be living rejoicingly, like it's always now in the present tense. And so you're saying, well, that all sounds great, but it's not my disposition. I'm not one of those people that's happy all the time. In fact, I'm suspicious of those people. So what, do you want me to just kind of fake it? Not at all. Paul has learned the secret in this. He says, rejoice in the Lord, not in your circumstances. He says, you're rejoicing, this constant living in the rejoicingly mindset of lifestyle, of, of way of living. You don't live this way because of what has happened in your past. You don't live this way because of what is going on right now. You don't live this way because of what might happen or what will happen. It's not about what in your life. It's about who. This is the secret, that you can live rejoicingly in Christ, in the Lord, in who Jesus is, in who I am in Christ, in what Christ has done on the cross, in what Christ is doing in my life, in what I will have eventually in Christ, in where Christ dwells now, in Christ's promise to walk with me. He says that you can rejoice in. Rejoice in the Lord. See, for Paul, and this is so key for us if we're going to live this way, he understood that the object of the focus is Jesus. The object of the focus is Jesus, not our circumstances, not our situation, not what's going on around us. And he lived that way. I mean, what do you do with a guy like Paul? Seriously. He has figured out that if, as long as Jesus is in the center and front and center, everything he can rejoice in. I mean, he, he goes from town to town planting churches, and some of these towns kick him out. I mean, they like say, you're not welcome here anymore. Collectively, we've taken a vote. You're gone. We, we send you away. I mean, how would you like it if all of Whatcom County took a vote and said, you know what, you're not welcome here anymore? That happens to Paul. He says, go, leave our town. Don't come back. You're not welcome. He could get all down about that. This circumstance is horrible. But you know what he does? He's like, well, this is not what I had in mind, but hey, this means I can take Christ to a new city. There's other towns that have never heard about Jesus. This is really actually going to work out good because now I can take this message and plant another church. He goes to another town and he tells them about Jesus. And some of them arrest him. Well, that didn't go the way I planned, so he's arrested. He's in jail. Hey, prison ministry. This is awesome. These guys need Jesus and they're not going anywhere. I can tell them about Jesus. This is fantastic. He goes to Philippi. And they put him in the inner chambers down in the middle of the dungeon. Hey, the acoustics down here are amazing. We can sing these songs and it reverberates off the walls. This is beautiful. Even at midnight, we can sing and no one will shut us up. This is amazing. They take him to Rome. They chain him to a guard, this guard who's got a unibrow and no neck. What are we going to do? And all of a sudden he says, hey, he's not going anywhere. If he leaves his post, he dies so I can tell him about the life of Jesus. This is fantastic. They beat him. They whip him. They stone him. His body is shredded. Hey, outwardly I'm wasting away, but inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. You know what? 
I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. I get to suffer with Christ, and he identifies with me in my suffering. He's condemned and sentenced to death. Hey, to live is Christ and to die? Woo! That's even better. What do you do with a guy like that? No punishment works. You know why? Because Jesus is always there. He says, I can always rejoice in the Lord. That was his focal point. When we start focusing on our circumstances, our situations, our uncertain futures, all these things, we get down, we get stressed, we get anxious. We need to turn our attention to focus on rejoicing in the Lord. And Jesus himself would speak to this. When he does not deny the reality of the hardships of life, in John 16, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me, not in your circumstances, not in your situation, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. Take heart, rejoice. I have overcome the world. Paul learned this secret. We need to learn this secret. Our rejoicing is in the Lord. All right, back to Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, always. Now, we've already seen that this is the present tense imperative, like constantly, the, the, the constant now. But he comes back and he's a bit redundant. So he says, always. And this word always in the Greek means always. Because we kind of think, well, it's rejoice in the Lord always as long as things are going well. As long as I'm having a good day. As long as I'm getting the promotions. As long as my kids are well behaved. As long as I'm healthy. And we think that there's a rejoice in the Lord always with an asterisk here. Some fine print that gives us these exceptions to the rule. Rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, yeah. Except when the prognosis is cancer. Re rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, wait. Oh, look at that. Except when the kids are acting out and making decisions that you don't agree with and are destructive to their life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, except when you get overlooked for the promotion. Rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, except when the marriage doesn't work out. Rejoice in the Lord always. Except when you're not healthy. No, he says rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, I'm going to say it again. Remember in chapter 3, he already said, I'm repeating myself already. Now he's repeating himself again. In chapter 3, he said, I've already told you this. I'm going to tell you again. Chapter 4, he says, I've already told you this. Now I'm going to tell you again. I'm just going to say it again. Rejoice. There was a little song that our girls sang when they were little kids, especially when we were in the car. It's, it's, it's the kind of song that makes you question why anyone would have children. But the song was originally uh, from a kid's, uh, an old kid's program. Some of you are old enough to remember the little uh, sock puppet called Lamb Chop. Yeah, okay, yeah, which is a horrible name for a puppet for children. <laughs> Mommy, what's a lamb chop? Oh, it's when we kill the lamb and eat it. So lamb chop sings this song, and our girls learned it. It is a song that never ends. It goes on and on, my friends. Some people started singing it not knowing what it was, and they'll continue singing it forever just because it is a song that never ends. It goes on and on, my friends. Some people, I mean, you know the song, right? For Paul, rejoice in the Lord is his song that never ends. He says, we're just going to keep coming back. Second verse, same in the first, a little bit louder, a little bit worse. We're just going to keep refraining back again. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord over and over again. He says, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Always. And I'll say it again. Rejoice. 
It just comes back to it. You know, last week after we talked about uh, this series, several people this week said, hey, what does CALM stand for? Because I saw the, the little periods, and, and, and my response was the same all week. Come to church, and you'll find out. So today you get to find out. Last fall, I was reading this book called Anxious for Nothing by Max Lucado. And at the end of it, he used the word CALM as a, an acronym. And CALM stands for Celebrate, Ask, Leave, and Meditate. And I saw that, and I thought, well, that would be a great outline for a four-week series. And that's what we're basing uh, that, those pieces of, this verse, of these verses for these next four weeks. Now, when you came in today, you got one of these cards, and it says common. It talks about this. And there's also the verses we're going to be camped on. I'll tell you a little bit more about this card at the very end of our time together today. But the C is to celebrate God's goodness. To celebrate God's goodness. To rejoice in the Lord is to celebrate the goodness of God. I mean, last week we talked about the resurrection, and what does the resurrection mean to us today? That we can live in grace and forgiveness, that we can live with a hope for these days and for eternity, that we can live in the resurrection power. You can celebrate that no matter what you're going through. You can celebrate the characteristics and the attributes of God, that he is holy, that he is omnipotent, he's all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, that he is just, that he is gracious, that he is patient, that he is loving, that he is merciful, that he is faithful that he is trustworthy, and just celebrate these aspects of our God, to rejoice in the Lord and to celebrate in his goodness. No matter what I face, this I know, God is good. No matter what I face, this I know, God is in control. No matter what I face, this I know, God is faithful, I can count on him. God is working for my good, God has got this handled, God is going to redeem this, God is going to make this all work out, and to celebrate the goodness of God. All right, so Paul goes on. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And then in verse 5, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all, which is just like, what does that mean? And, and the reason that might be confusing is in every, I think pretty much every commentary I read, they said that this word that's translated gentleness is like the most untranslatable Greek word there is. Like we don't have words in our English language that fully depict or describe or translate what this Greek word is. That's why in some of your translations it may say gentleness. Others it may say forbearance. Some it might say patience. Some it says softness. It's, it's hard to, to, to really wrap your hands around what, what does this word mean. In Warren Wearsby's uh, commentary, he said that it's a, it's a temperament that is seasoned and mature. Gerald Hawthorne, in his commentary, he says, I, I can't really translate it, but what we're talking about here is the character of Christ. And when I read that, I'm thinking, okay, character of Christ. Whenever I think of the character of Christ, I think of the fruit of the Spirit that God wants to, to develop in each of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this idea that when we're going through life, and, and there's uncertainty, and, and life goes off the rails, and there's difficulty. When you want to freak out, when you want to worry, when you want to stress, that there would be this character of Christ, this gentleness, this joy, the peace in the midst of it, not because of the circumstances, but because of who God is creating you to be. And to understand that when we do that, there's no doubt it will be evident to all. Now, when people look at you and say, why aren't you, and don't you realize, and 
How can you, there's this fruit of the Spirit that is coming out in your life. And that we can choose, in those times, we can choose to respond rather than to react. To respond in a way that is God-honoring. To, to respond in a way that is only as a result of the power of the Holy Spirit transforming our hearts and our minds. And to let our gentleness be evident to all. And then Paul just gives him this one little reminder. He says, the Lord is near. And this, the Lord is near is a little bit ambiguous. There's two, really two major ways you can look at this. One has to do with proximity, and the other one has to do with perspective. And, and I think maybe Paul meant both. That the Lord is near. That no matter what I go through, no matter what I face, he will never leave me or forsake me. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me. That he's always going to be right there. And so I don't ever have to go through these circumstances. I don't ever have to face the future alone. My Jesus is walking with me every step along the way. But there's also this perspective thing. And again, if you've read the writings of Paul, you know he understood the eternal perspective so clearly, and I wish I could get it down more. Because he said, in light of eternity... You know, our time here on earth is just a blip on the radar. It's just a breath. It's just, it's just this tiny little sliver. And, and the Lord is coming for us. I mean, in 2 Corinthians 4, he talks about how difficult life is. He says, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down we're not destroyed. And he goes on talking about how we even carry death in our bodies. And then he gets to a few verses later, he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Like we don't get anxious and let away. We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And then listen to this, for our light and momentary afflictions. I look at what Paul went through and I would not call it light and momentary. I would call it severe and ongoing. But he's got this eternal perspective. In light of eternity, our light and momentary afflictions are achieving us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. The Lord is near. He's walking right with me. The Lord is near. It's just a matter of days, weeks, months, maybe years, but he'll be here. He'll take us, and then we have all of eternity. What an incredible, incredible picture that the Lord is near and that God is closer than our future and greater than whatever we might fear. This God is right here with us, and he far surpasses the things that make us afraid. Can you imagine in your life, in my life, if we would just start living these words to rejoice, like live in this constant state of rejoicing, not in our circumstances, regardless, in spite of our circumstances, rejoice in the Lord, celebrating him and responding in a way that is the power of the Holy Spirit in a God-honoring way, knowing that the Lord is with us and someday it'll be like, wow, that was such a short amount of time. And now we have all of eternity. I'm going to stop there, and this is going to cause anxiety for some of you because there's a blank that's not filled in. <laughs> We're going to do that next week. So relax. 
I got home last night after service, and my wife said, so did I need to bring my notes back next week? I said, just come to church, you'll find out. <laughs> we'll cover that next week. In conclusion, I want to wrap things up with Pastor Bob's summation. And for this one, this one won't cause you anxiety. This, will, this one may offend some of you. All right? I'm just telling you, this may, for some of you, this may be the last time you come to Cornwall Church. But you know what? I'm not worried. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not anxious about that. But the reason I'm going to tell you this is because for me, and I'm only, this is why Pastor Bob's summation, this is for me, is that when I'm going through difficult times, because I do, and when there's uncertainty about the future, because there is, and when there's some stuff that causes me to worry and stress and have anxiety, in those moments, I need something to put a smile on my face and to refocus my attention to Jesus. That's what I need. Now, you might need something different in those moments, but if I can do something, find something, read something, know something that makes me smile and then puts my eyes on Jesus, it helps me through. This does that for me. Whenever I'm going through a difficult time, hardship, uncertainty, don't get your panties in a wad because Jesus Christ is the Lord our God. Now that for me puts a smile on my face and refocuses my attention on Jesus and it rhymes so I can remember it. Things are going difficult, don't get your panties in a wad, Jesus Christ is the Lord our God. It's uncertain about the future, hey Bob, don't get your panties in a wad, Jesus Christ is the Lord our God. All kinds of things falling apart, you know, the, yeah, hey, don't get your panties in a wad, Jesus Christ is the Lord our God. For me, that makes me smile and puts my eyes back on the Lord Jesus Christ. God said through the prophet Isaiah so many years ago, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So back to this card that you received. This is what I want you to do with this. No matter where you are on this anxiety spectrum, you know, just a mild irritation, just kind of a, a seasonal thing or a chronic uh, reality. If you would take this and every day read these verses out of Philippians, and we're just going to camp on these for four weeks, read these verses every day. Maybe it's every morning, maybe it's every night, maybe it's in the middle of the day, I don't know, but read them every day. And I would encourage you to begin memorizing them. Let them become a part of you so that the Holy Spirit can draw on those words in those times of anxiety. And for some of you who deal more with the chronic crippling uh, fears and anxiety, on the back, there are some scriptures, some other things we can say, you know, what does God's word have to say to me? What can give me some, some words of encouragement and peace and insight? There's some things you may want to look those up. You may want to write them out. You wanna, may want to read those every single day. But we're just going to continue to live in this and to rejoice in the Lord always. I've asked the, the team here to lead us in a song that reminds us in the midst of difficulties to focus our eyes on Jesus and to know that because of who he, Jesus is, it can be well. Why don't you stand as we sing this, and then I'll close this in prayer.